0: computer Ah, and uh, i'll pray for us and get started god thanks for the day uh we give you uh so much praise uh for the opportunity to 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 be pastors to be invited into this uh severe uh incredibly uh, weighty uh ministry and calling uh to be shepherds of souls Father, as we speak today, we pray that you would help us be men who encourage one another, uh, remembering uh, the severity of our calling to be heralders of your word and uh, to be shepherds of men, of women, families. Uh pray uh, and pray thanks for these brothers, for their ministry, for their faithfulness, for your uh, caring for them uh, in many ways over the years. We just give you thanks and praise. Uh, we love you, Father. We pray that you are glorified, that our own joy would increase, in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, we have a couple of guys with us today that are uh, not usually on our on our podcast. Uh, friends of uh, mine and Michael's that go uh, way back. We're old enough to start using the phrase "way back." Uh, so I'm gonna uh, just mention who's on here. I want to let you guys. Uh, introduce yourselves, what churches you're at, how long you've been there. Uh, This is Jeremy Franks with us, who's in Belton, Texas, and Bobby Higginbotham, who is in Tacoma, Washington. And uh, both, uh, I've known Jeremy since, I mean, you've had a beard since you were in the seventh grade, I think. That's how long we've known each other. Uh, Sixth grade. grade. You came in
1: sixth grade, brother.
0: Sixth grade, seventh grade. Uh, You also have a better memory than I do uh we played paintball we worked through dating we worked through faith together college roommates uh for a while almost
1: arrested in the middle of the street in the middle of the night we almost got arrested wait stop everything i want to hear that story We're we're that kind of (laughs) friends
0: another episode uh but it does involve uh, a gun watermelon and a crowbar but another episode another another day uh jeremy you've been a good friend to me i'm just grateful for our friendship and also your partnership in pastoral ministry um bobby higginbotham uh went to mary harden baylor as well and then moved up west and we never heard from him again so (laughs) i'm alive but we're thankful for you brother and uh and uh, glad to reconnect it together for the gospel last week see each other uh face to face sing in the same room hear the same sermons uh, be encouraged. So uh, you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, Jeremy, what what church are you at? How long have you been there? Uh, you've been in pastoral ministry around 10 years as well. Um, just just give us the three-minute version of uh, your, your trip in pastoral ministry.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, so I'm at Fellowship Baptist Church, which is technically in a little town called Morgan's Point Resort, but if you put Belton, it gets here all the same, so it doesn't matter. I've been here coming this December will be 10 years. Uh, and this is my first pastorate. I was in another church prior to this, but it was in the youth minister, children's minister kind of realm, so I've been here faithfully for the last almost 10 years, coming up on 10 years, and uh, it's, it's, it's been great. It's been uh, certainly a, a time of learning, and a time of growing, and a time of decreasing, and a time of, of every season in between, I'm married. Uh, I've got four kids that continue to grow faster than I'd like them to and cause more chaos than I'd like them to, but God has has definitely blessed. So
0: Awesome. Anna is also a dear friend of ours, your wife. Uh, I hope and trust she is doing well. Bobby, tell us us about yourself, man. Uh, How'd you get up Northwest and what have you been up to?
2: Yeah, so um, I moved with my wife and our dog up to Washington State back in 2008, um, all in the name of wanting to do ministry, uh, but not wanting to be a pastor, and so instead of doing that, I decided to uh, jump into church planting, and so we, uh, we started off helping a church plant, Uh, in Snoqualmie, Washington, which is the east side of Seattle. And we're there for about a year and a half and then was sent down to Tacoma, Washington, which is about 45 minutes south of Seattle uh, to plant the Pathway Church. We went there and uh in uh, I guess we landed on Halloween of 2009 uh where we started that work and uh about I'm not this is going to sound like I'm joking but I'm not I was that young and that dumb I it was about a year and a half to two years into planting the pathway that I realized we now had people and I I needed to be their pastor and I really had not considered that (laughs) um and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's been, uh, it was, it was such a wrestle. I had gone, uh, I had gone to, uh, my undergrad in mass communications, went to seminary and got a, uh, a master of arts in missiology and, uh, just really had not done a lot of training or thinking about shepherding God's people. And so mm. made a ton of mistakes, um, mm. some big mistakes, uh, over the last decade. And so, um, yeah, so saw God do some amazing things uh, mm. in and through and despite me, um, hard things uh, went through ups and downs. And uh, anyway, so did that for about twelve years. And then uh, we uh, five months ago we ended up uh, through a lot of the hard things that lots of people have gone through in the pandemic. We merged uh, with a sister church here in Tacoma called Discovery Community Church, and. Mm. So we're five months into that, and uh, I'm in a new role as an associate pastor and, uh, you know, trying to figure out what God's up to. So that's kind of where we are right now.
0: You've planted a church and merged a church at this point.
2: I have. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's a very varying degrees of success and along the way uh you know just to fully introduce along the way uh my wife and i uh well two weeks after we moved to tacoma we had our twins uh so they're now Mm -hmm. almost 13 and your wife is a twin and my wife is a twin yes as well Mm. um and we have a six-year-old who's uh came along unexpectedly and, uh, joyfully. And then we have, uh, we have fostered a number of children along the way as well. So we currently have six kiddos with us.
0: Praise God. Well, Michael's only been in full-time senior pastor ministry for like six months or five minutes or something. Uh, I've been in actually it was yesterday. I was
3: installed yesterday.
0: I've been at my church for anyone who's catching up for 11 years, a senior pastor. We were in Hong Kong, China for four years, where I was an associate pastor. Michael, you were in Round Rock uh, or Rockwall for how long and then in Tuscaloosa?
3: Yeah, I was five years in Rockwall. And then now I'm coming up on five years in August here. So there's 10 years. Look at there that. Full time ministry, 10 years.
0: Well, we, we, are thankful for you guys, and we wanted to have a conversation just about our pastoral ministry, and I sent you guys a link in the chat of uh, a Barna uh, research report that just came out yesterday, so we didn't do this podcast in order to address this. This is just something that's timely, and, uh, and it might be helpful in our conversation. So the, conversa- the Barna research article is called Pastors Share Top Reasons They've Considered Quitting Ministry in the Past Year. Um, knowing ministry… And knowing you guys uh, for a while, Jeremy and I and Michael and some other brothers were on a a monthly phone call together, talking through uh, pastoral ministry together. Um, I don't, I, I don't even have to ask. I know that there have been days when you seriously, seriously considered quitting, either quitting ministry altogether or at least finding a new church uh, for various reasons. The article here suggests that. Um, Ask a question of pastors. Have you given serious consideration to quitting being in full-time ministry? So leaving the ministry within the last year. In January 2021, that number was 29% of pastors said, yes, Mm -hmm. we've given serious consideration to quitting full-time ministry. That number in March 2022 jumped up to 42% of pastors. 42% of pastors have given real serious consideration to quitting full-time ministry in the the last year. Um, That's a significant number of of pastors uh, to say they've really considered leaving the ministry, not just going somewhere else. When asked about challenges, pastors who have considered quitting, um, 56% have said it's because of the immense stress of the job. 43% 43% have uh, said – and some of these are doubled over. You can click as many options as you want. Some have said, I feel lonely and isolated. Some have said it's because of the current political divisions. 38%. I find that striking. Uh, all, yeah. you know, 12% away from half uh, refer to current political divisions, and I'm happy with the effect my role has had on my family. I'm not optimistic about the church future, 29%. And it kind of goes down from various ones there. Um. I think it's been known in the last two years that pastoral ministry has had unique hardships from politics to COVID to all of the above uh, that are over and above uh, any normal stress that is there for pastoral ministry. Um, Bobby, I just want to start with you and just share, um, you know, one of the things that we plan to talk about is just what challenges have you faced in pastoral ministry personally that has discouraged you or, or, or tempted you to just quit just make you say I- I'm, I'm i'm done i can't do this or maybe i shouldn't do this whether you just feel like quitting or you feel led to do something else well, what has been some of those things or maybe one of those things in your pastoral ministry
2: yeah i was looking at that list in the article and i was thinking maybe i could just tell you the couple that haven't entered my mind today. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <This is> super <laughs> discouraging to read on a piece of paper um mm-hmm yeah i gosh i mean that has been uh sadly i'm not proud of this but but that that wrestle has been a part of my life uh Mm. probably for the past five years Mm -hmm. um and intensely so for the last uh year and a half and Mm. um So, yeah, I think, and I think if I was going to narrow it down to one thing, it's actually articulated in that article. And I've said it many times uh, to my wife and to a handful of others that just feeling, feeling completely alone. um, Mm. I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to, I'm probably going to regret saying this out loud on a recording, but you know, I, uh, I have, I have not. Uh, how do you say this? I have not, you know, I came out, I came out of college, you know, basically to come out here. I, I served for a couple of years on a youth camp in Oklahoma
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, that was run by the family of one of my best friends. And then, um, you know, had a, a couple of people I would have considered close brothers, best friends in college. And I have not ever experienced that since then, mm-hmm. you know, I have not had, I listened to you guys talk about having phone calls and ministry calls and, you know, brotherhoods. And I've never, found that you know coming it was just an unintended an unintended consequence of stepping into planting um in this part of the country you know i love this part of the country and i love what god has done here um but when you plant and especially when you plant the way we did which was the stupidest way to plant uh was basically just you know a couple of people coming up here to plant um you're when you say the
0: stupidest way are you are you saying you just kind of Went up there and did it. No support, no network. What are you talking about?
2: No, It came through our denomination through the North American Mm -hmm. Mission Board, but Mm -hmm. it was literally, you know, it was me and Kelly and uh, uh, one of our best friends, a young single gal at the time and two college students. So mm-hmm. n- like very little community, no thought to ecclesiology, no thought to uh, elders, no thought to just anything. And so we were just so, I mean, and I was what, 20, how many years ago was that? I was what, twenty six, seven, mm-hmm. you know, something like that and had never pastored before. Mm-hmm. So just so much foolishness and um, in the way that we approached it, that set me up for isolation and loneliness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And then knee jerk reaction to that uh, on, on one occasion in particular, but several just saw an opportunity to bring somebody else, you know, into a pastoral position on the team and Mm. it just blew up, Mm. it just, I mean, it just blew up in our face I didn't do. I didn't do due diligence. I didn't vet well, didn't interview well, and just was so excited to, I mean, literally, truly just so excited to not be alone Hmm. uh, that I brought a person that I considered a friend, um, into a pastoral position and then it just imploded. Um, so just, yeah. So the isolation and the loneliness, uh, has caused me, uh, to consider a lot of things, just, you know, going to a more established place, moving into a different role, uh, going and doing something different altogether. Uh, there have been a lot of those things. I would say, secondarily and only more recently, would be the effects that it's had on my family. By God's grace, it mm. has not seemed to have had a lot of negative effects on my children. My my two 12 year olds have both uh, professed faith in Christ and. Mm. Uh, have shown fruit of that um, being a a genuine profession of faith over the last uh, four years, Mm -hmm. which I'm super thankful for, you know, you just watch your children in that way and want to see is the Holy spirit, you know, you know, bearing that fruit out. But my wife has, um, has been just beaten down and broken in Mm -hmm. so many ways and lost, uh, lost friendships Mm -hmm. um, in such painful ways, which I know is not unique to ministry. A lot of, Most people in ministry experience that, but, um, and being away from family, being away from, you know, everything that was ever normal to us. It's just been really, it's caused me to, to consider quitting too many times.
0: Yeah. So Bobby, you, you are up Northwest. Do you, you uh, 38% of these pastors mentioned current political divisions. Has that been a thing for you guys?
2: Uh, not hugely, to be perfectly honest. Um, mm-hmm. I think some of that maybe just with the pathway was the church that we planted and and we were together until five months ago and uh, we were just by the time we got to the to the big political divisions in the church mm-hmm. we were we were so, uh, we were relatively small, you know, 35 people or so, mm-hmm. you know, adults. And so we just knew each other so well. And I think part of that mm. caused us to know where everybody stood. So either just navigated it more sanely or just didn't go there with people. If you knew that you were so different, cause we just knew each other so well, I will say stepping into this new church, um, uh, environment that was significantly bigger than us, about 300 people pre pandemic 300 or so it like the political divisions just rocked that mm. church and mm. to the point where when we came in and merged, um, it was almost like restarting because we had been shut down. So, um, you mm. know, again, our shutdown lasted a lot longer. So we, uh, our new church discovery community church just started meeting together again on Sundays, uh, in September. So it's been what, seven months the mask mandate just lifted ah. you know, about a month ago. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been, interesting to see the dynamics and to learn over the last five months how many people did leave Discovery Church because of political divisions. And a lot of mm. times just because of, of leadership, uh, you know, our pastor's uh, decision to not, you know, take sides to preach the gospel, which I'm thankful for. And uh, and so then that leaves people on both sides of whatever political aisle you're t- talking about frustrated and angry. Um, and so Discovery lost a lot of people through that.
4: Mm.
0: Yeah. You, you said loneliness and isolation is a big one. <clears throat> how does that, that, that's something that uh, I understand doesn't, you might not feel that up front, but you be, the longer that lasts, you begin to feel it more and notice it more and feel the need for it more. Um, I mean, just talk through that. How, how does that, how does the, the, the feeling of loneliness and isolation the, the Barna phrase, how does that lead to making someone do this anymore? Or, or is it, I can't do this anymore?
2: Yeah, I think, I don't think I could have answered that as well. um, You know, six months ago, but now stepping into a new church context where, um, you know, it's not like I know everybody real well yet. It's only been five months, but Mm -hmm. uh, stepping onto a team, you know, where there's more staff members, myself and the other pastor, the only full-time staff members, but we have multiple far, uh, part-time staff members and, you know, just people that are focused on it every day. I think, um, I just, I think it, it was a lack of people, um, seeing the struggle, um, feeling like every, every struggle, every failure, every missed opportunity, lack of baptisms and salvations, uh, people that would leave the church just feeling like all of that and this is such a wrong thing but feeling all like all of that was either at best just my responsibility which as a pastor of course we have responsibility for the flock um but also just like taking it so personally that it was Mm -hmm. everything was my fault and there was Mm -hmm. nobody in the daily grind um to to pray just pray like to pray together about those things to um you know, to speak the gospel into my life, um, you know, and reminding me whose church it really is and was, you know, that, that I'm an under-shepherd to the chief shepherd. And again, all things that I would know, like if, if I was able to zoom out and step out of it, I knew I would know those things, but there was nobody daily in it with me. And because, you know, I was daily in it, um, especially towards the end, you know, I've been by vocational multiple times and had multiple other jobs just for survival needs, but um, but at that time was in it, you know, full-time focused on it. And so I just think just those feelings of failure, you know, my wife will, will, you know, would say that that's one of the things that I struggle with the most is just taking, taking so much on myself that, you know, can just beat myself down and feel like a failure and, and nobody being in it. Whereas even in these five months on a new team you know, the lack of loneliness, just if something has not gone according to plan or if, you know, whatever, there are people right there saying, man, like, you know, let's pray about this. Let's, you know, let's talk about what went wrong and figure out how we can do better and support each other better. Just that mutual support Mm -hmm. just made me multiple times lacking that just made me want to run to any place um, that had support. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if that makes sense. Uh, I worked for Chick-fil-A for a time and, and seriously, if my wife wouldn't have said no, I would be a full-time Chick-fil-A, you know, employee right now because yeah. just had a team when I, when I was there, I experienced a team of people, um, and it was mutual support that I just did not have. And then yeah. being a church plant and a smaller church at that, just a, you know, even when, even in the best of times when people were growing, you know, I was I was always the oldest person in the church for the entire twelve years. I was the oldest person in the church. So there was nobody to learn from, just as a human, as a disciple of Jesus, as a parent. Like there was nobody to learn from, and I don't know why that was. I don't know why God did that. Um, and then just spiritual maturity, because again, for a long time we tried to reach unbelievers, and we reached unbelievers. It was so beautiful and glorious and powerful, but just the maturity level was just so low and we couldn't keep up uh, because we didn't have enough maturity around us to disciple the immaturity and that was a disservice to to the new believers you know yeah.
0: and, bobby one thing that's encouraging it sounds like that you because of age and time and suffering and learning that way you And i'm gonna ask jeremy some questions you You have a better objective self awareness about yourself and ministry. You're not just feeling isolated or feeling you have, you're able to kind of look back at yourself from the outside and go, Oh, I don't have this. I didn't, I I wasn't what I thought I was. I don't have the people that I didn't even know that I needed. Uh, As you sit now, do you feel like you're able to see yourself kind of from outside yourself objectively and start to think about, okay, if I'm going to do ministry for 10, 15, or even three more years? I've got to restructure some things that should have been there ten years ago.
2: Yeah, I think a little bit more objectively for sure, um, which I'm which I'm thankful for. I think right now I'm in a season of just going, uh, of just asking God what what He wants for me because I can't go back and get a redo. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I can't I can't go back and start over. I wish <laughs> I could. Um, so going, Lord, what what based on you know, all of my youthful arrogance and ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, what of that is shaping me to have kind of a different calling or a different role for the next 20 years, yeah. or what of that is saying, okay, I've prepared you, you've learned a lot of lessons, you know, and I want you to step in to shepherd again, uh, to be a lead shepherd again, you know, mm-hmm. for 20 years. I don't know. I don't have a lot of clarity on that yet. So definitely sure. objective, lots of uh, good, uh, learnings about myself, but I mm-hmm. I don't I've got it figured out for what that means for the next 20 years. And thankfully I'm at a place right now with this new role where I'm I'm probably not gonna be able to sustain in this role full time um beyond this year. Uh the church just can't afford to do that, I don't think, but um have a year to kind of pray and sit and learn and heal and and figure those things out.
3: You still find yourself saying my pleasure every time somebody says thank you.
2: All the time. You can't yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh <laughs> yeah, Bobby, really thanks for sharing watch. that,
0: man. I, that's that's uh, some raw stuff and really helpful, I think for me to hear uh I trust pastors and especially church members to hear uh about uh, about that experience. We're going to we'll come back to some of that in a minute. Jeremy, what about yourself, man? You've you've been a minister. You've been in the same context you you haven't had as it doesn't seem from our conversations over the years as much structural shift and things like that uh, at your church, what has, what's been some of the things or the thing that has really any, anything on that list in the, on the Barna site, any, anything in your experience that you thought, man, as close as I've come to quitting or changing, this is what's brought me there.
1: Oh, for sure. Definitely. The, uh, the, the first one, the stress mm-hmm. of the job. Yeah. Now I, I'll also say that's kind of isolated because if you, if you just took the last two years and erased them,
4: mm-hmm.
1: I don't think I'd be anywhere close to that. Mm. There's times where I've thought about changing churches or I sure. thought about moving, but not not getting out of ministry only until yeah. the last couple of years with everything that's gone on, did I get to the point where, I mean, there were some days I didn't want to come up to church Yep. and I just, I said, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: God, why am I still here? Mm-hmm. And I understand a lot of that stress I was putting on myself, especially that first year when when COVID just came in and we didn't know what was happening. And Nathan, you know this, but for everybody who doesn't, I'm very much, um, it's it's one of the things about me that I constantly have to remember and I have to pull against. I'm a people pleaser. I like people to be happy with me. (laughs) Worst thing, I've told my people this, worst thing they can do to me is come up to me On a Sunday morning, and say, "Hey, I need to talk to you later." That just ruined my day. Oh man, that destroyed me. (laughs) That is the worst. Amen. Amen. amen Everybody on this or the
3: or the random text message or email that's like, "Hey, can we set up a time to talk?" I hate that. It's like, oh yeah, it's so
4: vague.
3: Those conversations never end with like, "Here's a buttermilk pie for you." Uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Never. We need to eliminate that phrase from church. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: uh, I forget who said it. I, Mark Twain, Thomas Jefferson, I forget. Somebody said, I've known a great many troubles, most of which never happened. And I'm like, that's my life, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, great. Uh, but during, especially at the beginning of COVID, there was a time and we shut down. We shut down. And It was just from either side. In the same day, I was told, you don't have enough faith in God. And someone else said, you're going to kill someone and kill the church.
4: Hmm. Hmm.
1: In the same day, from Hmm. from either side of the the aisle. Hmm. Hmm. And so that was weighing on me. and, And I spent the whole, especially that first month, worrying about so much of of what people thought and and the stress that all that was bringing. I was coming up to church every single day of the week because we were filming Taylor's Valley Baptist Church opened up and let us uh, do our services online. They recorded it, gave it to us so we were able to drop it online uh, because they had the capability of doing that. And so for the first couple of months, that's what we did every Saturday. I'd meet up there uh, with our our music team, and we would do a service. And then I would come up here to church for some of our older folks who don't have internet, so they could watch that as we streamed it uh, here at the church. And with the few people that came, they were easily able to spread out everywhere. But I was coming up to church every single day, Monday through Sunday. And I did that for four straight weeks just because I had this immense pressure. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not Mm. doing enough. And I just, that's that, at that point, I didn't want to come. Mm. Like I dreaded every day that I Mm. had to come up here now, not all those days were 10 hour days or anything, but when you have to come to work every single day without having a, um, a Sabbath without having a break and a time of rest, it, it wears on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and going through that and walking through that, things got better. We opened up uh, once we hit in the summer, and I said, You know, we're, we're going to meet. If you're not comfortable meeting, don't. And I got more blasts from every side. We're still going to wear masks. I got blasts from every side. But through that process, I realized God was also working in me to teach me that I need to worry more about what he thinks, what he wants, what his will is than anybody else, Mm -hmm. anybody else. And I know that's something I still struggle with today. Uh, I have not gotten that down. And I, I, I still have that battle before me, but um, during that time, that was the closest I got and said, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And the thought, my wife, uh, who is a teacher, the thought of, you know what, I'll just, I'll become a teacher. And then you and I will have summers off together. You know, how great <laughs> does that sound? That still sounds great. Jeremy,
0: how old were you when you came to your church to fellowship?
1: Oh gosh, um, what, 30? It was the end of December of 2012, so yeah, I was 30. Well, I was, yes, yes, I was 30.
0: You, you had been an associate, you went to seminary southwestern you mm-hmm. did uh some associate pastor years at a church correct no no so you went straight from my entire time in
1: seminary while i was there i was at first baptist church in Cleburne, and yeah. i started off as the children's minister that eventually moved into full-time ministry and then during i don't know my first three three and a half years they had run through three or four youth ministers Mm -hmm. And at that point, they said, hey, we would really like for you to consider rolling up and being the youth minister. Uh, So we prayed about it, and that's what we did. So I transferred over to youth ministry, and I did that until I got out of seminary. And and then I knew God was calling me to pastor. Um, One of my classes in seminary, we read a book called The Pastor as the Shepherd, and it really challenged my understanding of just the, the role of the, the pastor has. I focused so much on the uh, preaching and getting up, and that's still obviously a vital and important part of being a pastor, but all I thought about was standing in front of people talking, which again in my background is, is not something that I ever wanted to do. I was the reserve kid. I was the shy kid. If a group of Uh, of friends were surrounded in a circle I couldn't talk because there's too many of them so I think Nathan you'd been at school for I don't know how long and all the guys would go over to your house to play basketball uh you know and they wouldn't ask they just would go and being my parents they had always taught me never invite yourself somewhere so I was always waiting for someone to invite me and never got invited so Finally, I was like, "Hey, could I come play basketball?" And you were like, "Yeah, dude, we were wondering why you didn't come and play <laughs> you know that sort of thing um all those things just kind of who I am, but that that book challenged me and and taught me a pastor is a shepherd, yeah. yes, he preaches the word of God, yes, that is vitally important, but he also shepherds his people, he loves yeah. them, leads them, he guides yeah. them.
0: Let me ask you a question. I had a similar experience to Bobby's uh and and mine's kind of been progressive over time but i i started uh my role as senior pastor at this church when i was 29 and i had been uh various different roles a a grab bag of roles at the church in hong kong and i began to realize over the years that i i I was not nearly as ready as i thought i was Mm. i mean i i nailed the interviews i was i had a lot of romantic big ideas i had I always had some forming, ecclesiology, what a healthy church was. But I look back now, and I have I joked for a while with my church and others that they probably shouldn't have hired me when I was 29. And the longer uh, I go in ministry, it gets more serious for me that they really shouldn't have hired me when I was 29, that I really was untrained. Uh, I did not realize. I'm The longer I go in ministry, the more I realize just how untrained I was. Have you had that experience that you feel like, you you got into pastoral ministry and and you've had some looking back going I was not as prepared or trained as I thought I was or do you feel like you you were kind of set up well to go into ministry and I think you can say that humbly
1: uh, I would definitely say uh, I wasn't as well trained as I thought it was definitely yeah. working at church and going to seminary at the same time I did feel you get education on both sides. Because if you just straight went to seminary without being in the local church, there's so much you're not learning Mm -hmm. and that they don't teach you and you get there. So um, I will say for me, I still kind of was dragging my feet. So after I left Cleaver and I was actually looking for an associate position or even another youth position, in fact, we got to a point where it was down between me and one other uh, guy for the youth minister position of First Baptist Brian. Uh, which is a fairly large church over by College Station. Yeah. And we went to the interview. They put us in a hotel, met all the staff, had a great interview with them. And when Anna and I were driving home from College Station, I knew that's not what I was supposed to do. Mm. I knew God was, was, going, uh, was pushing me towards jumping in and being a pastor. Mm. Now, I'll, I'll say the context within my church, um, a smaller church, Kind of in a rural area. Morgan's Point is off to the side. It's on the lake, so it's not in the heart of Belton in yeah. the city per se. Uh, so it was in, it was a smaller church and a younger church. Our church was planted in 1989, so it wasn't this mm. long history there. But it was a great church to come and and cut my teeth, mm. and I was thankful for their the them giving me the opportunity to come and and to plug in and certainly that learning curve has has been quite dramatic because <laughs> you learn so 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 much mm-hmm. um, and the longer I've been here the more I just realized there's so much more that I have to learn mm-hmm. and that's why I love going to the conferences I love reading the books um, because there's there's so this is not the best place where I am there's there's mm-hmm. That's the next step. That's the next step. And God is continually leading and growing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm thankful for that and the the opportunity my church gave me. Something I've always relied on and leaned on, though, something your dad told me, Nathan. Uh I remember what I was looking Uh for at church. Uh (laughs) Heads up, everybody. Content (laughs) warning. (laughs) That's a good thing. It's a good thing.
3: (laughs) Earmuffs, kids. Go
1: ahead. (laughs) He said, you're going to go to the church. And you're going to think it will either live or die by my hand. Mm. But the truth is, it's God's church. Mm. And it's going to be there after you leave. Mm. And I took rest and comfort in that. I'm going to come in. I'm going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But God is going to sustain his church. Amen. Uh, so that's something I've always kept with me and been remembered. I don't. You, I think you were standing right next to me when he shared that. Do You remember we were in. Well, listen, my dad room. has
0: said a lot of things to me over the
4: years.
0: <laughs> 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 I was standing right
3: there. <laughs> when his dad talks, Nathan just turns the mute switch on. Brain. No, that that is
0: that is wise. I'm grateful to hear it again or for the first time. Michael, you you've been a senior pastor for about five minutes. These guys are tenured pastors now. When you as you listen to these guys talk, how does this compare to your experience? You 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 had I think kind of a one up on us in that you you came into your first senior pastor role later, older. More mature, different kinds of experience. You, <laughs> you, uh, seriously, you, you might be the through, only person that would say that. I mean, all three of us, uh, especially myself and Bobby, but all three of us just kind of share. We worked through a lot of our own ecclesiology, our own pastoral issues, kind of figuring out ourselves as a pastor. You did a lot of that before you went to your church. So, how do you feel like your experience compares to um, compared to these? And you know, what has been that ch- most challenging thing for you? Um, that has made you get close to thinking, yeah, I'm done. i think I'm going to go, you know, uh, cook barbecue for a living.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure it really matters how you come at the pastorate, whether you've waited a long time and you've kind of put your theological dominoes or ecclesiological dominoes in a row, Mm -hmm. or whether you, you know, go in kind of green around the gills. I think it's, you're gonna you're gonna have those crisis moments throughout, regardless of of which way you come at it. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, you know, it, it's kind of seemed like um, there are particular ways God has of growing His people, and sometimes that is, you know, placing them in you know health crisis or uh, you know, one crisis after another, and sometimes that is the pastorate. I think, mm-hmm. and it's it's a another tool that God uses in the sanctifying process of His people, mm. and um, and so I think no matter if you've got okay, I know how the church should function, and certainly that's helpful. Like I, you know, I don't disparage any of of the thinking or learning or reading or any of that that I was able to do ahead of time. Or hearing from other pastors and things like that, certainly I think those were beneficial for me just in my own thought process and, and even being able to, to say something with conviction and being able to stand on it because I understood how things were supposed to function in the scriptures and things like that. I think all of those things are helpful, but um, at the same time, I think there's a, there's a stress that comes with just pastoring the church that um, it doesn't matter. You you could come in green around the gills, or you could come in with everything uh under your belt and you still are gonna have times where you feel in complete despair. I mean, I was reading not that long ago and and I was just thinking about it as y'all were talking, um, in Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Um starting verse 24, Paul says five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked at night and day, a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, dangers from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so Paul throws that anxiety in with all the rest of the things that he's gone through. And I I think part of me thinks that if, if the apostle Paul had another square on this zoom chat that he, that he would probably go, yeah, that's pastoral ministry. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. All those things you're saying. Yep. Every pastor is going to feel exactly that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's a, the harsh reality is, you know, welcome to the world of, of pastoring. This is what the church is like and it's difficult. And sometimes it is, It's lonely and isolating and it can be exhausting simply because you're not dealing with problems that can really be solved in the sense of like you can't just you know put a plan in place that sort of rectifies the problem of sin like it's it's just it's just there and like if you're dealing with it in one area you're going to turn around the other corner and it's going to be right there on the other side you know and so there's just, there, it's just a constant, uh, constant pressure and a constant anxiety. And if it's not other people in your congregation, it's your own sin that you're dealing with, or this sin present in your family and pressures that are, you're dealing with on the outside. And, and so I think it's, it's just, a um, there, there's just a unique thing about pastoring to a degree that you're not only taking on your own sin and dealing with that every day, but you're dealing with other people's as well. Yeah. And it, and it, it can become exhausting and, and isolating. You have I think two. it's pretty normal. I think one up two. I have on pastoral ministry on you guys. To
0: my knowledge, Bobby is that I'm the I'm a pastor's son, as Jeremy mentioned. I've I've seen it. I have seen the stories. I've lived the home. Um, I've watched the marriage. I've 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 seen the toll that it can take at home. And when it starts to take a toll at home, you don't just have a stressful job. You have a job that is costing at home. It makes home more expensive, home more exhausting, home gets touched. Um, you know, Michael, I think you could say that even in your ministry, that it's, you, you don't just get to put up a dividing wall between church and home, and there's no effect, there's no uh, change. You've you've seen that in your time, just your short time, um, even in, in, in Tuscaloosa, which in many respects is just a, a great setting and has been a, a great church to you, and is moving in a great direction, still challenging for marriage and family. Well, yeah, I mean, did
1: your experience growing up as a pastor's son make any difference in, in your going into ministry?
0: Oh, absolutely. I did not want to be a pastor for a long time. I ran away from it. I first felt called to pastoral ministry when I was 14 Uh, until I got to college. I decided to do anything but that I chased my girlfriend around and I thought about going to the Navy. It wasn't until I, my girlfriend broke up with me in college, which you were there for to receive and save me from, and uh, that I first, I finally began to realize I'd made an idol and I was just walking away from the Lord. I was not following the Lord. Um, some of that was just seeing what it's like to be a pastor uh, on both sides, having a phone in my house uh, that is a direct line that is the same number as the church that would get called hours of the day at home uh and i just i just saw the life i just thought i don't want to do that i'll do christian things i'll do counseling things i'll do missions things but i ran from ministry for a long time um in fact when i first felt called to the ministry i was i remember talking to my dad in his bedroom and him saying if you could do anything else in the world do it Hmm. and it wasn't mean it wasn't that he hated pastoral ministry um but that was one of my first memories was don't do this for romantic reasons. Don't do this just because you're excited do this because it's in your bones and you can't do anything else. Otherwise you'll just get spit out. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, thanks for the encouragement. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, i really feel boosted here. Uh, but it turned out to be really helpful, uh, over the years to think about. So I ran from it for a long time because of that. Um, and it since had um, multiple levels of, of heart change. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it made it tough, and I, I just think I didn't have a context for those things being good. Uh, no fault to um, my father for you know any shortcoming at all, um, but just seeing it and and not being able to separate the the good from the the hard in that sense. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know I want to hear from you, Michael. I think that's one of the things that I knew was coming in ministry was the effect on my wife and the challenge there would be in my time, my affections, my, my planning and my calendar, um, uh, my, my emotions every day, my strength. Um, it is very easy to let all of those things be poured out to the church, have nothing to give at home. Uh, and then also my wife, herself and her own ministry feel so many things probably the the first year we were in hong kong the church was really troubled there and uh in because i was young and unwise, i didn't know better and i didn't have anybody else i came home every single day i came home from every deacon's meeting and just poured out all of my complaints and all of my frustrations right onto her for about an hour and i'm surprised the woman still wants to be a christian (laughs) wants to be in pastoral ministry after the way I came home and laid it on her the first year and a half. Um, so praise God for that. The Lord has sustained my wife in many, many ways. Um, Michael, you've experienced that uh even at your uh I I would say has been an, an easier road for you and a and a wiser road in pastoral ministry, but
3: still not without difficulty at home. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I think is it presses on you as a pastor is that the this is the only job that I know of, you know, outside of maybe like, you know, obviously positions of authority, president, things like that, where it is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's never a time where it actually leaves you mm-hmm. or where you leave the job. I mean, I worked mm-hmm. at Apple before becoming uh, associate pastor in Rockwall and, um, and there were stresses to that job. But mm-hmm. when I went home, I went home and they weren't on me all the time. I would answer emails, would answer texts, things like that about the job and things like that. But the stress has pretty much stayed there, hmm. you know, with pastoral ministry, you, it's not like you ever leave the church or leave your people. And I mean, my house is on a, is on a road where plenty of members actually drive by regularly. So if we're out in the front yard. You know they know we're home, or they'll stop by or whatever, which is not. I don't disparage them for that or anything, but it, but it's you know it's one of those things where it's on you constantly. And I think here's the my biggest weakness, and my my wife would tell you this. I don't. Let me back up. It's not my biggest weakness. I got plenty of other bigger weaknesses. All right, but it is a weakness. Let's say it that way. Is you know if if there were stresses or frustrations, I would come home and express those stresses and frustrations, but if there were joys and good things, I didn't always come home and say those things. Mm. And so I know I looked up and it was, you know, a couple of years down the road and my wife just kind of has this disposition towards, you know, ministry and things like that. And, and I'm like, why things are good. You know, she's like, they are, (laughs) I don't know about those things. You haven't told me Mm -hmm. any of the good stuff. And, and I started to realize, you know, like it's very easy to, um, focus a lot on the negative and not, uh, not actually state what, you know, positively is happening. And I think there's a fear in my own heart that like, if you say what good things are happening, then that's going to change. You know, and like all of a sudden the things that you celebrated are going to be things that, you know, you end up getting crushed by later on. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I don't even remember what your mm-hmm. question was, but yeah. um, there try. you go. How's that? <laughs> it's all right. Bobby, Who, cares? You, you,
0: Who cares? You married Kelly. And I mean, if there's anything I remember about Kelly and Sarah from college, I haven't spoken with Kelly since college and didn't know her that much then. But when... um I mean literally the nicest people you'll ever meet. I, I can't imagine her not being happy. Yep. I can't imagine her having a sad moment or a sad face. Um my recollection is just the, the most sturdy happiness. But you you mentioned, you know, that there's
3: been uh, effects on family and home. And by um, the way, I would say to that I would add to that. Kelly, your wife and her twin sister Sarah I, I, it's not uncommon for me to be in some city in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, or something, and to be like, "Well, do you know Kelly and Sarah Mitchell?" Like, "Yes." How do you know Kelly and Sarah Mitchell? <laughs> I mean, she knew they; those two knew every single person you had ever come across. It's unbelievable. Yeah, Bobby, you,
0: you don't have to necessarily go through Kelly's kind of personal experience and make her vulnerable. But what is it about pastoral ministry? Uh, that has most affected uh, your your wife and family. What is it that most is difficult to navigate?
2: Yeah, I I think she would say, or I know she would say, um, two thing. <clears throat> excuse me, two things in particular. One uh, is that is kind of those, you know, just just the loving. Uh, even motherly instincts, you know, that are there to protect. And so when I'm hurt, when when somebody hurts me, or when I'm discouraged, or kind of like what Michael was saying, if I'm not very intentional and careful about what I share with her, um, then she knows things and her instincts are to protect her husband. And she doesn't want me to be hurt. And she doesn't want people to say, you know, hurtful things to me or about me. And, mm-hmm. and so it's just a struggle because of who she is in Christ. And because uh, of her commitment to, you know, living in the spirit, generally speaking, she's not going to pounce. She's not going to go tell people what she thinks, um, you know, in a harsh way, but, but she has, then she has to just take that to the Lord or bottle it up. And so that's a hard thing for her to process, you know, when she Mm -hmm. sees things or hears things, um, in that way. And then I think the, the second thing is just the effects that things have. I'm going to be delicate in the way that I say this, but, um, you know, even our best friends as pastors, Mm uh, are not immune from hard things Mm -hmm. and are not immune from, um, breaking away from us. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, no matter whose fault it is, sometimes it's nobody's fault, but I think we experienced that as, you know, we, we, when we planted the church, we, Uh, over the course of the first few years, you know, and had several people from our past in Texas from Mary Hart and Baylor from the camp that I ran in Oklahoma from places like that come up as young single people and join us. And then we so over the years, we got to watch them grow, we got to watch them date, we got to watch them marry, we got to do premarital counseling, we got to watch hard things in their spouses and things like that. And so You just can't compartmentalize those things. And so I guess to generally speak about her struggle, it was when people that she was the closest to were struggling with bad relationships, bad marriages, sin in their lives. And I was their pastor because we didn't have a plurality of elders. We didn't have any Mm -hmm. other. Pastor, So I was the one that had to step into that mess Mm -hmm. and he just couldn't compartmentalize it to the point where in in one situation, kind of like what Michael was saying, Michael said that, or no, it was Nathan that was saying that you came and just dumped everything on Mm -hmm. her. I was, I was coming in also not just dumping, but seeking her counsel Mm -hmm. about people that she loved dearly. And she had Mm -hmm. to tell Bobby, stop it. Like, you can't talk to me about this anymore. I can't know this because I cannot then go and be a friend to this person. Right with these things in my brain that you're telling me you have to stop. Yeah. And, and that was just really wearing on her. Opening. Absolutely.
0: I just sent you guys an article, um, uh, by Carrie Newhoff and I don't know him. I don't, uh, I don't know anything about him. Uh, I saw another brother, pastor, uh, Josh King, who's out in somewhere, Arkansas, uh, used to be in Texas as a buddy. And he, he posted this and it was fairly controversial. Although my wife and I definitely, could affirm some of the things that it says and things that it's getting towards and the the title of the article is two pastors why they're not actually your friends a hard truth for pastors and leaders and i don't i know that i don't agree with everything in there i do agree with some of the things in there but it's trying it's touching on what you're getting at in that as pastor do you have real personal friends in your church can you should you um I'm not even trying to get at an answer except to say that's a, those were some really hard waters to navigate at times.
2: Can Um, I say something to that, Nathan? Absolutely. I I don't know the answer to that either, but one of the things that I mistakenly, well, two things that I know were in error and I don't know how I would have done it different, but I realized over the course of the last four or five years that there were people that I viewed as friends Mm -hmm. Who, who, who I realized viewed me only as pastor, mm-hmm. and so then I, um, I shared things with them
4: mm-hmm.
2: for prayer, you know, mm-hmm. just because I need a community too,
4: mm-hmm. and
2: that then came back that they that they were viewing me as pastor, and they couldn't believe that a spiritual leader mm-hmm. would struggle with. Mm-hmm some of the things that I would share. And Mm -hmm. I, Kelly was the one that finally pointed out. She was like, Bobby, they just view you rightly or wrongly. They just view you as pastor. And you trusted those things to them without thinking, just thinking they're my friends. They don't view you as friend. It's not like they would say you're not my friend, but like, they don't view you as friend. They view you as pastor. And that was eye opening to me. It was like a punch in the gut. I was like, man, like that's not even their fault. Like Mm -hmm. I'm their shepherd leader. And I was sharing with them things that I would share with, you know, Michael at the Together for the Gof- Gospel conference, mm-hmm. you know, and that was that was unwise and unfair yeah. to me. To well,
0: and I think too, I mean, I've told Colette this different times. One of the hardest things I've told other brothers in the church who I've been close with and would and would say. Uh, I'm'm I'm more than pastor more and you're more than church member. We are kind of on a friendship personal level. We have that very small circle of uh, vulnerability, accountability, sharing about my in, the intimate things in my life, my sin. but I, I have I've struggled with that I think I am and I feel that every room I ever walk into, I'm pastor in that room. Yep. I mean, I have some of the best of friends in the world and my elders. everyone's nodding on this call right now. I have the best of friends in the world and the elders at my church. But I'm always still pastor when I walk in that room.
4: Yeah,
0: uh, I have best of friends who come over to our house, and we just enjoy hanging out with them. And we just we, we go to the movies with them. We, uh, they, we, we, in, we share our lives with them. I'm always still pastor in that room. It doesn't mean that we're not truly friends, uh, but it means that you, ne- you can never take that hat off. You like Michael was saying, or that you never leave work. Yeah. Um, Jeremy, you, you experienced something along those lines? Have you? How have you? Oh, absolutely. Felt that so, the funny
1: yourself? thing was, when I went from being a youth minister to a pastor, it was immediate. Mm. Everybody's view of you changes.
4: Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's a hard I, that's a, I, I'm looking forward to reading that article, see what he says, because mm-hmm. it, it brings up the question. How much are we a pastor, and how much are we a friend, and mm-hmm. can we be both at the same time? Mm-hmm. Uh, because there are times when we have to talk and 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 meet with our people and and bring out some things that are uncomfortable, and their reaction if they have more of a view that you're a friend is, "Hey, you're my friend. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm also your pastor." Mm-hmm. I'm also the leader of the church. And here's some things that we can't let go. We need to address. And so I, obviously I hadn't read the article. You just sent it, so but I'm looking yeah. forward to reading it and seeing what he has to say. But ever since, not just in my church, but everywhere I go, when people meet me for the first time, as soon as they learn that I'm a pastor, everything changes. <laughs>
3: My wife has even felt that even as a pastor's wife, like she Mm, she'll, when she meets a new person in town, she won't tell them what I do, Mm -hmm. um, or anything like that until they ask, either they ask or until, you know, it becomes a, they know her well enough, you know, whatever, but it changes the dynamic. I mean, she's talked to people at you know, it, our kids were in baseball for a little while and we were talking with other parents, getting to know some of the other parents that were there. And, you know, she meets a couple of people that she can kind of tell they're either, you know, unbelieving or they're, you know, disconnected from the church or, and dechurch church kind of, kind of people. And she, you know, wants to have a, a, a relationship where she can kind of begin to share the gospel with them and, and things like that. But she doesn't tell them that I'm a pastor. Um, or that she's a pastor's wife initially because they shut down and they start modifying their behavior. They start changing the things that they would say. They start being very um, guarded. Language
1: changes. Yeah.
3: The whole thing, everything. And so it, it, it it is, it's like this weird kind of filter that they put up. It's like, Oh, that's a pastor can't talk to them or I can only talk to them for certain things, or I've got to change my behavior, um, you know, about certain things and and it, it impacts your even ability to, to actually minister to them, you know, which is all she, she would want to do or, or me, you know, as well. Like it's, it's difficult.
0: Yeah, and in, and in some ways that's our we're responsibility to quick. teach our church, right. For us right. to make sure that as much as we are able, uh, we train our church about what a pastor is. Yeah, uh, We have to be careful that we're not just the victims of, you know, decades of someone else's experience, but that's our job too. Yeah. Uh, is to be vulnerable actually build friendships at the cost of getting in murky friend pastor waters and navigating that for our church and with our church by our own example but it's hard
4: hmm.
0: uh, one yeah. of the, i've been reading this book this is a, a book that our pastor's group here in austin's reading it's called a failure of nerve uh it's written by a rabbi uh so you know it it is what it is um there's a line in here. I couldn't find it. He says something along the lines of one of the problems is uh, that leadership in the last few decades in America, whether you're the president or a pastor or president uh, or a father in your home is uh, from president to parenthood is that our leadership gets so wrapped up in our emotional connection with everyone that we make really bad leadership decisions because our emotional stability is tied up to it. Uh, So, uh, he, and he talks about the fact that we, leadership has to be a place where we, we realize we are going to be lonely in a lot of the leadership things that we do, and we have to not only begin to accept it, but begin to love it. Uh, and I don't know if I entirely agree with it. You have to be careful with statements like that, but it was helpful to me to realize I, I can't keep complaining about being lonely if I'm going to be a leader. I have to realize I'm going to have to lead, and, and I need friendship. I need support. I need counsel, but there's going to be an internal experience that some others may never know. And I might have to lose things that some others may never, um, experience. I'm still wrestling with that myself, but I thought that was helpful to a degree.
3: That's, you know, a in line with a lot of what I've heard from other leadership counsel too, is ironically, I heard an interview one time with Carly Fiorina, who is the CEO. She ran for president, I think a few years back in 2016. Mm -hmm. And, um, ran into the Donald Trump buzz, buzz soft, but, uh, but she, she was also the CEO of Hewlett Packard for a while. And, um, she said in the interview, she was like, p- that, that question was about her being a female CEO and facing criticism and all that. And she said, uh, criticism comes with the job. If you don't like criticism, get out, yeah. you know, it's like, that's the cost of leadership and it's, you know, that it is difficult, but it, that, that's part of what makes it isolating yeah. is that it, it, and I've found too, even like when I'm in a situation where I'm following, where I'm, you know, subject to someone else's leadership, it's really easy to sit back and to snipe the things that are wrong and to like point to the things that are wrong having no idea why those decisions were made to begin with and not having all the information that whoever made those decisions you know, had when they made the decision. But it's very easy to point to the things that's wrong and snipe it and criticize it It's difficult to find a solution to it that actually solves the problem and doesn't make it worse, you know, and it's and it's difficult. I think that's part of the, the difficulty, even in leadership, even in pastoral leadership, is that there's lots of decisions that you make and you know that the reason why you make them is best for the, you know the whole situation, but you can't just unpack the whole situation for every person in your church. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to say, this is the decision that was made and you're going to have to trust that it was made with the best of intentions and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're never wrong. It's just, you know, it's the reality of it and it's part of the, why it's so isolating. Yeah.
2: I, I well, wanted to add to <clears throat> Michael, you mentioned earlier how being a pastor, you know, it never, you never shut it off. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think, one of the things I've learned, you know, as I've grown as a pastor and grown as a parent is that it's a lot like parenting and I don't yeah. mean in any kind of condescending or way, mm-hmm. but as a parent, you know, now I'm, I'm definitely not through. I have, you know, as far as I've gotten, as I have almost 13 year olds, but as a parent, number one, it never shuts off. You're always thinking about them in your mind and, you know, what you could do better, different care, but you're also having to communicate with them how your relationship is going to change as they get older. And mm. if you are not proactive in explaining those change in relationships, there can be a lot of confusion and hurt and pain. And, and I think of that with pastoring as well. Like, And the loneliness is I have to, if I could go back in hindsight, and I've done this more in recent years, is I have to define how relationships change, even as a pastor, depending on the person and their maturity and their stage of life. Like we had several young gals that came to us as young 20 year olds, and they lived in our house. And I served you know as a father figure to them in a lot of ways but then they grew up and they got married and i found out that they were wounded and offended in some ways that our relationship had changed and i had to explain to them you know sitting there with them and their husbands that like i can't play that role in your life anymore you have a husband now and so that's just one example of how you have to define those relationships and and as a pastor like Nathan was saying you constantly teach that that just because my relationship and my pastoring of you looked one way when you were a brand new believer it, it's going to look different when you're 10 years in, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to probably, you know, might have to give you less attention because you are 10 years more mature mm-hmm. and my pastoring attention is going to some people that are less. So it's exhausting, but I yep. think it's important in the same way that parenting can be exhausting. We, we have to continually and intentionally define the changing nature of the relationship. I never stop being a parent and I never stop being their pastor, but it's going to look and feel different to them.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think members have to learn that the other way too, just like parents where, you know, my kids need to know we are not buddies. We are (laughs) not friends. I'm your parent. And I'm very okay if you are upset with some of the things that I say to you. And I've had some members, I think, realize, you know, I've, I've had to say some things to members where I see in their face, they realize, oh, we're not friends. You're my pastor. It's actually better. I kind of think that way about marriage as well. My wife is my friend. I, I just defining your wife as your friend. Uh, I have a lot of friends. They're not all my wife. I have a very unique relationship with my wife, and it is much better than just being friends. Um, well, let's turn the conversation a little bit. I'm I, One of the things I'm grateful for is you brothers have shown a wonderful example of being able to talk about the hardships, uh, the struggles in pastoral ministry without throwing your churches under the bus. I mean, that just deeply encourages me. I'm so thankful and I hope Uh, That has really picked up on through your conversation. Jeremy, even when you're talking about, you know, on the same day, someone saying you were going to kill someone and someone saying you don't have enough faith. uh, I I did not hear you disparaging your church members, simply just saying, man, this is a tough spot to be in as a pastor. So I'm I'm grateful for that. Um, That's partially
1: because they're in the other room and they can hear me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) His office is bugged. That's (laughs) fine. (laughs) um (laughs) let's close that with a few thoughts here you know um, lord willing no one's quitting the ministry tomorrow you guys are going to walk back in your office the rest of the the rest of the week and preach on sunday uh i was very encouraged at together for the gospel piper saying he looks back on his ministry and he says uh despite wanting to quit he's got his journal days that he wanted to quit every week when he got to the pulpit with a sermon he was joyful about preaching that sermon Yeah, I, that is a testimony that resonated so, so well with me. I could have the hardest week, but getting in the word, getting the word in me and getting the word out time and time again proves, uh, OK, I'll do this another week. OK, I'll, yeah. I'll keep doing this. Yeah, uh, You know, I, I'll, I'll preach the word. Then I could preach the word sermon and think, yeah, I'm probably done. They're going to fire me and then wake up on Monday, get back in the word and go, oh, I love this. I'll You know, they're going to have to fire me. I, I love this job too much. Right. Brothers, what is what have been some of the encouragements from the church? What have been some of the encouragements from the Lord that you look back and you just go, "Man, this this made me keep going. This this um, put a fire uh, in me and um, helped me wake back up and do it again." What what would be some of those things in the past years? And in, in just a couple of closing moments,
1: I, I share, um, a period. Go ahead, Jeremy. Okay, sorry. Uh, So there's a period of time when we first came to our church, uh, the demographic of our church was very much on the older side, senior adults, gray hair, see a gray hair, that sort of thing. And for the first few years, the only children that were here at church were my children. Mm. And we got to a point where that was very disheartening. And so we began to pray, God, is this still where you want us to be? Um, And I'd shared with Anna, I'd said, Lord, uh, I said, Anna, you, if it's the same way a year from now, I'm going to be completely unsatisfied hmm. because I, I had this desire that my children would grow up and they would know the joy of having friends in church and, mm-hmm. and, and going to Sunday school with yep. other kids and, and having children's ministry and activities. We had nothing. There was no children's ministry. There was no, no Wednesday night activities. Mm. Uh, for any of that. And so we just began to pray, God, is this Mm. still where you want us to be? And God, this is the desire of our heart. And within that year is when God really began to change things at our church. Mm. Um, We had some families joined that had young kids. We had some students start coming. In fact, one Sunday, right after church, these three boys who were 15, 16 years old, came and said, hey, we want to start a youth group here, <laughs> and it was just like, number one, the power of prayer, but number two, yeah. God, thank you that you you were doing this in our church, and so seeing him uh, move, and him producing fruit, and you know, there's always seasons to that.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there's there's the lows and the the highs, and, and I guess one of the things that's really helped me is when we've gone through one of those hardships, when we've gone through one of those dark times, uh, I look back and I remember, okay, I've been here before, mm-hmm. but the sun's coming up.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's it, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm.
4: Um,
1: yeah. and God has always just been good and provided and blessed and, um, I stupidly make mistakes and forget the power of prayer. Sometimes it's like, why haven't I been praying for my church like this the whole time? And when mm. did I stop praying for my church like this? Mm-hmm. And uh, so just that's, that's been a source of comfort to me is looking back, seeing his goodness and his graciousness mm. in the the fruit of ministry that he has borne here.
0: Mm. Bobby, what about you?
2: I think uh, one of the most encouraging times actually saved saved me in ministry. It was one of, it was, it was the one of maybe two times that I legitimately was going to quit. I, we had gone mm. through a really rough season. It was, I think it was in 2016 and we had just had to shepherd some people through some really hard stuff. And I was just exhausted. It's the only time in my life that I think that I might have actually, you know, been depressed, not mm. just weird, but depressed. And uh, I was just done. And I had even, I'm candid, I had written a resignation letter and I was just done. And then we joked about this earlier, but then our best friend, uh, her name's Becca Smithwick, used to be Becca Hurst, went to Mary Harden Baylor. She texted and said she wanted to talk. And my wife was like, we're just not responding. I can't handle it if she's going to leave us, you know, cause we, that's what everybody says. Mm-hmm. And they, like we can't just ignore yeah. her forever." And, yeah. and she, <laughs> she came over to our house and she said, I was just spending time with the Lord and praying and praying mm-hmm. for the church and praying for you guys, which anybody, anytime somebody says that you're encouraged that they're praying for the church and praying for you. And she said, I just realized you guys have poured so much out to care for us during this tough season. and, I feel like we have not cared for you. Mm. And she said, I think you need a break so Mm. that you continue to serve in this capacity Mm. long term. (laughs) And I wanted to know if it was okay if I went to our church leadership and asked them to give you a sabbatical, like a real sabbatical where you can rest and heal um, together as a family so that you can continue in this for the long haul. And I just bawled, you know, (laughs) to be cared for for in that way when we weren't done with the hard season in our church. Yeah. Um, It was just a mark of maturation in our little fledgling church um, that, that moved me deeply and, and kept me in ministry. You know, Mm -hmm. it it sent my ministry on a different trajectory. Not, not all the hard was gone for sure, Mm
4: -hmm.
2: but it was just one of the, it was, that's one example of just one of the most encouraging things to be cared for as a pastor and Mm -hmm. to have church, a church member care for your family and Mm -hmm. think actively and then also take the initiative to to get you cared for mm-hmm. uh, and then to see the church come around us i mean the church not only came around us to send us on a sabbatical to fund a sabbatical mm. uh, but to step in and feel uh, fill roles mm. um, that that sh- that taught them and showed me gifts mm. that had not been being used mm. that used during that time it was just it was incredible um, that's huge so encouraging
3: huge michael what about you yeah Um, I, there's a, a long list. I -hmm. I think at the, at the very top of that list is seeing, uh, the word do the work in the congregation. And I, I, I would encourage any pastor that would ever listen to this or any person who would be discipling anyone to, um, open the word before God's people read it explain it, apply it and watch the work that he does through it in changing the hearts of people that it encounters. And I, I, I've seen that time and time, and time again, um, prove true that the, the church, you know, people come into churches in various stages. They may be in deep need of revitalization, maybe on the verge of death, or maybe, uh, maybe they're going, growing, you know, really well. And the word still finds a way to apply to his people, change their hearts, uh, motivate them towards, move them towards repentance. Um, And so I've seen that a number of times. And I think over the course of the last five years in pastoral ministry, five years as an associate pastor um, that not only has that proven true, but it's changed me as well. Um, I think, you know, I've come to understand in a very deep way that the pastor's role is training and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And I think part of, you know, what we're expressing, a lot of the, those frustrations or maybe just anxieties or or struggles or feelings of isolation and things like that. A lot of it is us taking, and I think we've all kind of talked about this in one way or another is us taking the responsibilities of pastoral ministry or of ministry in general, and putting it on our own shoulders and going, I'm the minister in this church. I'm the one that's responsible for all of these things. And what I've seen over the encouragement that I've seen, even over the last, just since the pandemic has been as people in the church have been equipped and begun and begun to do the work of the ministry, uh, in the lives of other people, you start to see a need pop up over here and a person over here that is uniquely equipped to address that need, go and address that need where in the past, maybe it was me that was doing it or me feeling the stress of doing it or whatever. And having the, seeing the, the pieces of the body move uh, to address the needs that pop up in the congregation, I think is one of the more encouraging things that takes place. And I think that's, you know, first of all, the training and equipping from the word that happens, but then actually just us as, as leaders, as pastors going, y'all do this, you know, and giving it to people, identifying the people that are good at that and, and then handing it off to them and, and saying, you know, go forth and conquer. I mean, mm-hmm. even over the last, like a uh, few months in our, our deacons meetings, like, uh, I've sat down with the deacons and given them a, a list of responsibilities and, and they've taken it and run with it and been, uh, just far more effective at, um, at, fulfilling those roles than I ever was or our staff ever was as individuals. And and I think all of that has just been so encouraging coming out of the pandemic that you almost feel like, I mean, if it was like this, I could do that for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. if if saints around me were were shouldering the burden of ministry, I could do that for a really long time. Yeah. That's Nathan, good. What about Praise you? Praise
0: God. Uh, I'll say three things really quick and then close with a a verse and a prayer for us. The, um, you know, one of the hardest things in ministry has been seeing its effect on my wife. One of the most encouraging things I mean, these are three things that if these things weren't there, I'm pretty sure I would quit. One of them has been, although ministry has been hard for Colette and friendship has been hard for her. The church has produced friendship and has been a friend to her and has served her uh, in many ways uh, that I thought if our church just left her, and did not serve her as a member of the church, much less as a pastor's wife, um, I, I would have quit. Uh, another one would just be friendships in pastoral ministry. You know, Bobby, I was listening to your story and just thinking, I, I just feel the opposite for me. I feel like I have so many pastor friendships that I'm, I'm just convinced the Lord is very aware of how weak I am. Uh, that if there's anything good in my pastoral ministry, it is because I am propped up by a thousand beams. Uh, I just, I, I can't, I, I can't imagine it. Um, uh, last semester uh, in the fall, I went to a really, really low time, uh, a lot of transition, a lot of hardship, a lot of spiritual inner turmoil. And there was a stretch where the Lord brought uh, friends from all over the country through Austin, and they stayed with us or we visited. And, and I, I just looked back and I thought, if the Lord hadn't done that, I don't know where I would have been in that season. And, and that was Providence. So praise God. Uh, and the other one would just be the fact that I can't get the word to stop bothering me. Jeremiah says it this way, and this is one of the verses where our podcast name comes from. He says, when I say that I will not mention him. So Jeremiah's thinking about quitting. When I say that I will not mention him, I'm not going to speak anymore in his name. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot the word of god in my chest more than anything else won't let me stop Mm. it just keeps burning and when i say i'm going to stop i can't uh it is if there's any good in my pastoral ministry it's the word that is won't quit even when i want to quit so praise god praise god for those things um and brothers, I, I just I'm going to speak for Michael and just say we're so encouraged by your perseverance in pastoral ministry. Your vulnerability with us uh, is encouraging, helpful, insightful, um, and uh, I'm I'm sure appreciative of it. Uh, here's here's Paul talking about ministry, and uh, let us all and our listeners be encouraged with this. Paul says in Colossians 1, 28, 29, Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling, Paul's word there is really agonizing with all of his energy, with all God's energy, literally kind of electricity, that he powerfully works within me. And brothers, is that not what we are doing, agonizing uh, for the maturity of the church with the energy that God gives us? Amen. Uh, otherwise, I mean, do we not run out of energy every week, every Sunday too? Mm-hmm. We're done so praise god he continues to help us agonize for the maturity of the church um appreciate you guys a ton uh, look forward to seeing you again not at t4g it's, it's gonna have to be something else i think we're all going T5G. to the drive conference <laughs> next or something <laughs> t5g uh, so awesome man we appreciate you guys take care
2: thank you guys thanks